Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the Kiwi Running Show, brought to you by Tempo Fit. My name is Hayden Sherman, and in with me in the studio today is, well, no one. It's it's actually just me. Hamish is, is a busy boy at the moment, um, so it's just me in the studio, but we've got a really uh, special interview lined up, an, an extended form interview, uh, all, all 50 minutes or so, um, with Steve Willis. Now, Probably most of you will recognise his last name and recognise him as being the brother of Nick Willis. Now, um, he's, he's Steve is actually eight years older and was a, a phenomenal runner in his own right. He broke four minutes for the mile, um, but now he's he's better known as one of Athletics New Zealand's team distance coaches for our our, our distance runners, our top elite guys and girls. So him and Maria Hassan uh, head up that team. Um, so we caught up with Steve to to hear about how Rio went, um, but also dig a bit deeper and find out, you know, what it takes to to achieve your your potential as a runner and what sort of habits and, and strategies you really need to build around your life. So really interesting chat with uh, with Steve. But before we get to that, of course, we've got to cover off a whole heap of news. So biggest news, of course, is that the Paralympics have now come to a close. And man, what a, what a Paralympics for New Zealand. We finished 13th on the medal table uh, with a total of 21 medals. Now, I think we we're going after 18 medals total. So we, we've achieved that and some. Um, 13th, looking at the medal table, it's actually kind of crazy. China with 239, 107 golds. Man, they, they are doing something right there with their para-athletics, uh, para-Olympians, I should say. Um, and interesting as well. Um, so China was number one, and then Great Britain was number two on the medal table, and then the Ukraine was number three. So, yeah, interesting. I'd love to hear what they are doing uh, to be so much more successful in the Paralympics rather than uh, the the Olympics. So, yeah, they're obviously doing something really well with their challenged athletes. Um, USA in number four, and Australia, our friends over the ditch, in number five. So, yeah, well done to our, our Paralympic team. And in particular, I want to cover off the athletics team, so our para-athletes. And, of course, uh, we can't go too deep into the discussion uh, before we mention Liam Malone, who really is... Um, not only a superstar in the para-athletics world, but is is really going to be a superstar in New Zealand sport and global sport. Um, I mean, we've we've seen what happened with Oscar Pistorius. Um, you know, he's had a, a pretty tragic end to his career uh, through some decisions it's looked like he, he's made. But um, we saw what a massive superstar he was before um, before all that stuff went down in South Africa. But looking at Liam Malone, I mean, he's broken Oscar Pistorius' record. Um, he's running, he's just done the fastest 400 metre time by Kiwi this year to win the gold medal in the 400 metres. And man, what what a superstar. And I, I think what has really won over the New Zealand public as well is how he's, he's come across in the media. So when he finished... Um, the 400 metres, this is what he said to the media. So this is quoting from the Athletics New Zealand um, weekly update. He says, quote, As New Zealand's cyborg overlord, I'm feeling pretty happy right now. And I'm just looking forward to going to the pub with my friends and toasting to a drink to the New Zealand people and to everyone who's supported me. It's been a long road and a special shout out to High Performance New Zealand, Paralympics New Zealand and Athletics New Zealand. They've helped me get here a lot. I hate the 400 metres. I was tiring up, but I spent two years building the gas tank and the last eight months fitting the accelerator. So I just put the gas down in that last hundred and it worked out all right. I just dig, dug in and dug deep and came away with the win. I'm not a serious guy, but I'm serious about dreaming big and believing in yourself. And I 100% believed that I could do it when I looked at the times coming into Rio. I had my doubts as much as anyone, but you just had to go into these things being as brave as possible. End quote. So, wow, what a what a cool response. And, um, you know, he... he, he He's performing on the track, but he's also so uh, so humble and relaxed and just, you know, Kiwi about it um, off the track. So 
well done, Liam. You've you've definitely done uh, uh, your country proud, and um, man, we can't wait for more to come. And and actually, it's exciting because he'll be he'll be no doubt lining up on the track for various track meets all over New Zealand in the summer. So um, great man to go and go and check out. Um, but of course, he's not the only major success in uh, in the Paralympics. So we had Anna Grimaldi uh, winning the gold medal in the long jump, um, and once again, she she just had this amazing response when she got that gold, um, and the way her face lit, lit up, you could see how much that meant to her. A uh, real dream come true for her. Um, and then we had a few silvers with Holly Robinson and, of course, Liam Malone getting the 100-metre silver. So Liam got the, the 400 and the 200 gold and then picked up the the silver and the 100. Um, and then we had four bronze medals in the para-athletics as well. So William Steadman uh, picked up two bronzes, Rory McSweeney uh, picked up one, and Jessica Hamill. So... Yeah, massive congratulations to everyone um, who who went and performed. Uh, um, really, just it's been, you know, it's a cliche to say this about the para uh, Olympics, but it is it is truly inspiring. Um, and yeah, so well done to our team. In other news, um, around the country, we've had a lot of a lot of local relay meets, and basically, what that's doing um, is letting clubs choose their team for the national road relays, which is coming up in two weeks. On I think it's the first of October in Rotorua. So. Um, a lot of a lot of internal um, gaming going on between club members trying to get their spots on the team, and looking at the the, the teams and the lineups for the road relays, it's looking like it's pretty exciting. And in the senior men, I think it's it's probably going to be a battle between I want to say Wellington Scottish, Auckland City Athletics, and New Brighton and Christchurch. But in saying that, there there could be a few dark horses. It only takes uh, one or two runners to to have a bad day, and you let some others through. So, look, even looking at the Wellington Scottish B team, they look very strong with some some great runners in the B team. Um, I'm this this year. I'm running for Wesley Harriers, and I wouldn't count us guys out either from getting up on the podium. Um, but uh, Pakaranga as well in Auckland. Um, Takapuna looks really strong. Um, and I'm sure there will be more uh, around the traps. So that is a really exciting race, um, certainly for everyone involved. Um, and then with the senior senior women, you've got to think it'll be a battle between Harbour Bays and University of Canterbury. They look like the two two top teams to beat at the moment. Um, in other news, there was the uh, the Sydney Running Festival over in Sydney, of course. Um, in the marathon, we had um, Cameron Blacklock came in in 25th place uh, with a 2.47. And Karen Faherty finished really high up in the half marathon, picking up 8th place, um, just a tick over 70 minutes. Um, and Victoria Beck actually won the half marathon in 118. So that's a massive result. That, that is a really big, big time race, um, the Sydney half marathon and marathon. So well done. I, I know a lot of people went across the, the Tasman to run that race. So hope you enjoyed it. Um, and the other major race that was going on locally was the Glen Eden 10 miler. Now this is, uh, so 16 K in Auckland and it's, uh, super hilly. Um, and really fascinating that Jono Jackson for the seventh year in a row has taken out the event. So Jono is great at making, claiming his mark on various events around Auckland. And this is one of those that he's just, uh, really owned, um, and in the ladies, uh, Marissa Ruter, I uh, hope I've pronounced your name right, Ruther maybe, uh, was the first woman in just an uh, hour and seven minutes for the, the 10 miles. So well done to everyone racing around the traps. Now we're going to go straight on to our discussion with Steve Willis um, and enjoy it. Well, on the show today, we're really stoked to have Steve Willis, who is one of the distance coaches for the Athletics New Zealand team. So it's um, it's you and Maria, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. Um, yeah, Maria has kind of taken on more of a domestic role, and my role has been more around the international campaigns. Awesome. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, great to have you on the show, Steve. And, and obviously, um, people will be familiar with your last name. Um, and so there is obviously a relation to Nick Willis there, um, who's your, yeah. your brother. Um, well, there's a time when it was the other way around. You know? <laughs> yeah, I reckon. Yeah. Um, so, and to kind of paint a bit of a picture, I really wanted to hear your background as a, as a runner. So when did it kind of get started? For you, because you're you're the older of the two brothers, um, so you must have paved the way in some respect. Yeah, or maybe paved the the, the, the things not to do. But yeah, <laughs> I did um, came through Colgate's and did children's athletics and stuff like that, which was great. Cool. Um, and was a bit of a late developer, so didn't really kind of do much in secondary school. So I like telling people how I never made a secondary school final, but yeah then came back and kind of did a bit better as a as a late um, as a junior and as a as a senior so um, got a went to the Western State College which has had a few Kiwis go through there and yeah totally um, yeah so that was a pretty cool experience and sort of learned a lot about about the game of running and, and a bit about coaching while I was up there and yeah um, came back from there and had a bit of a crack at kind of having a real go at it. Tried to get on a couple of teams, which didn't quite work out, but, you know, managed to dip under four minutes and stuff like that. So Yeah, and yeah, four, had, minutes, had a, four minutes for the mile. Yeah, so had a pretty good um, had a pretty good crack at things. And, um, yeah, so that's a bit about my background. Yeah, cool. Were you, because uh, I know, like, Nick always kind of knew that he had some talent, like, and you said he didn't make any secondary school finals but were you one of those guys who won their primary school secondary school or primary school cross countries and that sort of thing yeah i was probably better over the shorter stuff so yeah um you know was i think colgate's um won a 200 meter title and you know used to sprint a bit and then um yeah so always reasonably quick and then and then sort of started moving up into fours and eights. I remember yeah. my claim to fame as an 11-year-old was beating Sean Farrell at the Colgate in the 400, you know, those sorts oh, of things. Awesome. So that, that was cool. Yeah. So, yeah, like always had a bit of a bit of toe, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's interesting comparing. So Nick was pretty much the same in terms of his, you know, 200 times and stuff coming through as a kid, but he was always much better at running cross-country than me. Yeah. So he, um, pretend, you know, secondary school cross country would always be sort of pretty close to the front, you know, whereas I'd always, top 20 was about where I'd tap out. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, and, and what, so 800 was your focus. What what sort of times did you get down to uh, for the eight? Uh, I ran 148. Nice. Uh, yeah. Handful of times. So one got down to 148.1 over in the US and then ran... Wow. 148.2 in a in one of the Mali games in Christchurch, I think in two in 1998 or something like that. Awesome. I saw um cool. someone had posted on on YouTube some old videos of the Mali games, so that was cool to pull oh, those nice. out. Yeah. Show the kids. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. And um, like for you, you came back, had a crack at um, four, dipped under the mile. When did the running kind of? When did you hang up the trainers, and and what happened with that? Um, so I came back from the US in two thousand, pretty fit from yeah. being up, spending four, three, three or four years up at altitude, um, and typically would um, and run pretty well. Um, and then you know, three seasons in a row, I kind of broke down, sort of late January. Oh, really? Um, so just so when couple, the track season's really getting rolling. Yeah, so a couple of stress yeah. fractures and oh, man. and things like that. So, yeah. um, And then I had a bit of time off, had a year off, um, and then tried to have another go. Um, but, you know, just it wasn't working injury-wise. But, you know, I yeah. felt like I gave it a pretty good crack. So yeah. um, I think even if I was healthy, you know, maybe I could have scraped onto a, a, a Com Games team or something like that. But... Um, yeah, I felt like I got reasonably close to where I where I could have got maybe a bit quicker in the eight hundred if I'd focused a bit more on on eight hundred training. But um, yeah, I was pretty yeah. happy with yeah. with how things went. Because obviously, Western State that's um, it's up yeah. in altitude, isn't it? So it's probably um, 
more suited for the distance guys rather than the yeah, speedy I mean, eight, 800 guys? At the time, you you know, you kind of, if you'd known, if I'd known what I know now, then then maybe um, that may not have been the best choice. But you know, yeah. there were some good people up there and had a had a pretty good time cool. um, during that time. And yeah, I mean, obviously, running fast three hundreds at seven and a half thousand feet is always going to be tough. Yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, uh, it was a great place to get fit. And um, you know we'd always cool. drop down, drop down to Mount Sac or Stanford or places like that, and, and run fast. So um, yeah, oh, awesome, good times. Now, um, give us the the age gap between you and Nick. What's what's the spread there? Yeah, so eight years. Eight so, years. Um, yeah. Yeah, and we're actually born on the same day. So Anzac really? Day's pretty important in our family. Wow. So yeah, know. we have the same birthday, but eight years apart. Oh, that's that's actually really cool. What's nine months before that day? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's another story. Um, so when did you kind of notice Nick was um, running around the house or getting between the cricket wickets um, pretty quick? Like, did you notice yeah. his talent very early on? Oh, he always used to get dragged along to track to track meets, you know, the medal day at Wainui or Hut Rec or wherever. So he's yeah. into it pretty early. And then, um, yeah. you know... We used to, um, someone had put together a, a video of all these old running videos, um, you know, Olympics and world champs and stuff like that. And so as a, as a four-year-old, he'd get up in the morning and, you know, be looking at these videos um, wow. sometimes with me and sometimes by himself. So yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, not many, that, that's pretty good knowledge of sport for a young for a young runner and so I think he really early on developed a real kind of clear sense of stuff like running form and tactics and um, yeah you know maybe partly because you know he had someone to look at what not to and what to do but I think also <laughs> because his he's that was his focus and you know he's got a really good brain for for um for that kind of thing so yeah I think the other thing that was key for him um you know, his mum passed when he was, well, our mum passed, I was 12 and he was four. Yeah, yeah. And I was sort of thinking about what that meant and, you know, people talk about the U.S. scholarship system and I've got a bit of a theory that in order to really thrive there, you need to be the type of athlete who can really deal with adversity, kind of overcome setbacks pretty quickly and be self-motivated and not need a lot of guidance. You know, you sort yeah, of need sure. to be pretty self-driven and I think maybe that's kind of something that he um you know developed at an early age and combined that with a great with a great program like Michigan yeah yeah um he was really able to capitalize on that um but you know we've seen lots of athletes go over and perhaps not have some of the the skills to be able to really make the most of what I think can be a pretty tough environment to, to really to really make the most of so you know I don't know maybe Maybe that's something that had something to do with it. You know, he learned how to look after himself at a pretty young age, and I think that's been some character traits that's that's yeah. helped him later on. No, that's and good. I think the other thing that's interesting about Nick is there was a guy, Kim McDonald, who was one of the early agents with Nike. Yeah, sure. And um, he invited Nick at age seventeen to go and spend some time in Europe. Yeah. And so I so that you know, knowing the end. Um, and some other kind of key Kenyans um, were part of that group, and so Nick, at a pretty young age, got a chance to get a taste of of you know what it takes to to do well. And I think he um, you know did quite well in that first trip. You know, he ran three forty three forty six, and just got a sense of what it was about. Yeah, and then went to college, did well, but he had that taste of of what it was really about so he didn't get too tied up in the college system he kind of knew yeah, um, cool. what was what was to come after that so I think that yeah. that time with Kim um, you know sadly Kim passed on um, so Nick never really joined that group but um, I think that was quite um, influential and in, in helped shaping Nick's development yeah it's it's kind of like that sort of uh, the adult student mentality as well like if you go 
one, one year out of high school, go straight to uni. Often you sort of take that high school mentality into it. But if you've yeah, that's right. If you've got that sort of, oh, for want of a better word, that that worldliness, um, that yeah. world experience um, that you can take yep. into those environments, so you can really own it. And um, yeah, I think yeah. That, that was key. Yeah, cool. Um, now for you, you, you transitioned into coaching. Um, what what about coaching sort of um, caught your eye and um, yeah, what sort of floats your boat with, with the coaching side of things? Yeah, well, I think it's kind of on a range of levels. So, um, you know, when, when I, when I hurt my knee and I, and, you know, it looked like I wasn't going to be able to carry on, you know, the natural thing was to stay involved. So, yeah. you know, guy that coach Nick and I, Don Dalgleish has a squad and, in the hut, so just down the road at the hut wreck, and guys would naturally transition out of his squad. I think he does a great job of bringing athletes through. Yeah, um, sort of high school and, kids. Yeah, and then sort of be looking for what was next. And so there's yeah. a few athletes, you know, a guy by the name of Neil Sampson um, and a couple of others who I sort of said, look, I'll, I'll help out. And that kind of grew, developed yeah. a bit of a squad locally, um, you know, sort of regional Type athletes had a guy, Carl McKenzie, um, who, you know, was a really good junior. Um, so we had a, a, a solid little squad there, you know, up to about 12 athletes at one stage. And that was kind of just a constant. And then I was doing some coaching at school when I was teaching at Hutt Valley High. Cool. And then, um, you know, in 2008, Nick called me up and said, hey, I really want to throw everything in at, at my Beijing Olympics campaign. Do you want to come and help? And so that was a a massive opportunity and, you know, um, Ron, Nick's coach, was really good at, um, you know, really good for having me come be part of that team. And I learned a lot of him in terms of, and, you know, just traveling around with Nick. So um, that was kind of a taste of, of, I guess, at the high performance level. But, you know, coaching's about people. Um, You know, Ernie Merrick from the Phoenix you know, he says, I don't coach footballers. I don't coach football. I coach people. And yeah, yeah. Essentially, yeah. you know, it, people are complex and never boring. So coaching's never, coaching's great from that perspective. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's about learning. Um, yeah. So it's, that's the job, I guess. It's not a formula. Um, it's, you know, I don't think it's a, it's an exact science. You never really know. Yeah, so totally. you're kind of always guessing, and I like that aspect of it. So you know, whether it's the Olympics or Wellington Champs, um, there's that there's that kind of aspect of it which I kind of grabs me a bit. Cool. So um, yeah, that's something that that I like about coaching. Yeah. And you know, I just love the sport too. And yeah. So, you know, I've been fortunate to to be part of a, a few major championships now, and that's just um, you know a, a real privilege to have been part of that and some amazing experiences totally awesome and i have to ask like nick bringing in you, you into that frame with with ron or already doing sort of the coaching what what was your yeah. role in that that setting were you big brother laid the smack down um, yeah but, well i think partly it was a practical thing so yeah. that year ron ron's wife was not well and so ron couldn't travel oh sure and yeah. so um you know nick kind of there was a support element just yeah. to have someone to do to be on the road with. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, I guess um, you know to help Nick filter some of the stuff that he was dealing with in terms of um, you know how hard to push on workouts or just to be a sounding board really, yeah, and yeah. Um, just an you know an extra an extra set of eyes when Nick was on the road to to feedback to Ron. Um, but also to to maybe help Nick's thinking in, in terms of, well, how much of this workout do I do or do we shift the emphasis a bit here or stuff like that. Cool, yeah. yeah. Basically carrying the bags. Yeah. <laughs> Glorified <laughs> yeah. bag carrier. Yeah, pretty much. No, that's awesome. Um, and you mentioned about that, the aspect of, you know, coaching is, is that people management mm. and um, almost you're a, you're a mentor and a... Um, a sounding board in that that sense um it, where does for you like where does the the kind of i don't know your coaching philosophy fit in 
outside of that aspect. So, you know, when we talk in, are you a Lydiard guy, are you a distance guy, or are you more of a co-type short, faster stuff? Um, where do you kind of sit in that, that framework? Yeah, so um, I, I guess I kind of wear two hats because a big part of my role with yeah. Athletics New Zealand is being a team coach. So I guess part of it's kind of having to have a bit of an understanding of of a, a range of different approaches. So, yeah, cool. you know, I guess on the continuum from a from more of a, a co, you know, European approach where, you know, a bit more intensity, less of a, um, you know, less recovery between workouts and kind of understanding how that ticks. A, so you can support athletes who are on a team, um, yep. but also, uh, you know, help to facilitate um, athletes to make sure we've got our best athletes in the right programs doing the right events. Yeah. Awesome. You know, so I think from a, from a, an overall perspective, we haven't got the luxury of, of some of the bigger countries in terms of population. So we need to be able to make sure that we don't waste any talent, you yeah. know, that we've got our, our best, our best athletes. We understand how they're wired and we know how different coaches operate in, in maybe um, help to facilitate, you know, saying, well, maybe this athlete might be better in this program. Yeah. You sure. know, so yeah. it's not about one coach being a better coach, but it's about understanding that some athletes might fit under different programs better or in different events. So there's that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then personally, um, you know, I guess I've been shaped quite a lot by, I'd say I'm probably in between somewhere like a, um, you, you know, probably a, a more on the, the aerobic side than, um, yep. th than the than the the high intensity side, but um, yeah. but you know probably in between, I guess a a um a Lydia and a and a Ron, I guess somewhere somewhere around there, depending yeah, sure. on yeah yeah. And do you notice like a big difference? Because obviously, like you you play that sort of team coach role where you oversee a lot of runners. Mm. Like, do you see a big difference in what works for different people, and it might not work for for everyone? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think, um, you know, there's, I kind of look at it, I, it, you know, minimum, the minimal effective dose yeah. um, theory around around anaerobic stuff. So I think it's really important. It's a really important uh, component, but it's really easy to do too much of it too, especially leading into a major championship. Yeah. Um, and is that from a, like an injury perspective just doing too much no, faster stuff or is it just you, you think, burn um, out yeah. just i my personal philosophy is you can you know depending on how much you train for it um it, yeah. it's got the potential to cook you more yeah um but again you know if you prepare for it more from a from that type of uh from that type of approach then you're more able to handle it so your recovery times are less things like that so that, i mean that's yeah. a huge yeah. kind of discussion i guess but um Totally. That's part of the beauty. Beauty of coaching is 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 working out, um, you know, how an athlete what what might work best for an athlete and how to marry that up. Um, and where where to say no, I'm going to, you know, try and shift the athlete a bit to more towards how I do things, or maybe you know maybe I'm going to shift what I do more towards how the athlete's wide. Yeah. Cool. And then there might be some thresholds that you get to where you say actually this athlete might be better off with that coach. Yeah. So I think that's a key skill. For, for us as a coaching community to be able to have that ability to understand a range of different approaches, not just our own. Yeah. Um, and also, actually, how are our athletes wired? Because um, they're not all wired the same. So, yeah, definitely, I think, yeah, cool. you know, some athletes respond more to, to different things than others. Yeah, it's, it is quite an amazing balancing act when you, when you think, like, it's for someone like Nick, it comes down to, 0.5 of a second yeah on the the third round of a championship defines yeah, like the right. last four years of your running mm. and that's that's a very small percentage gain or loss that's the difference mm. between um a medal and um coming back in the pack so yeah it's um yeah definitely a, a very fine art and um yeah i, I def as a coach of just more regular runners, I definitely don't envy that sort of responsibility that um, elite coaches have on their shoulders. So, uh, well, well, well done. For... Well, I think often elite coaches, it's 
bit more cut and dry because you kind of know. I think the challenge when you're coaching, you know, um, developing or however you want to use it, sub elite athletes, is you just yeah. you're kind of guessing more. Yeah. So I think in some ways, you know, coaches who can develop athletes um, through the ranks are the real um, deserve all the credit because they're the ones that really have to, um, you know, put their theories to the test. But you know, often sure. when an athlete gets to an elite level, you're sort of it's more about what not to do and don't stuff them up rather yeah, than yeah, yeah. you know it's more it's more the coach the athlete making the coach look good rather than the other way around. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, keep keep them on the same train uh, tracks yeah, that have got right. them to where they are now. Yeah, 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 that's true. So, um, fast forward to Rio Olympics this year. Um, yeah, obviously you went over to Rio. Um, what kind of what were your expectations? Um, and if we talk just for now for the the distance squad, um, yeah. were there any expectations as far as medals and and placings? Um, yeah, what what was the the vibe going into it before the games? Yeah, I mean, any time your athletes race or athletes you're involved with race, you know, you hope it's a positive experience and that they can implement their race plan so that the preparation they've done is kind of reflected in how the the race goes and the outcome. So yeah, um, and I think your expectations change throughout the season. So yeah. Um, you know, early on, you kind of have more of a, oh yeah, this. I'm sort of hoping that things. You know, we're getting indications, and you kind of, you you have your expectations are a bit less clear, and then closer to the time, you kind of know based on workouts and things like that how things are going to play out. You know, so sure, yeah. You know, I was quietly confident about about Nick. Um, yeah. You know, it was really interesting, kind of looking at how Nick and Hamish and Julian were training and. You know, in that last six weeks, you know, the Hamish and Julian, you know, would say, "Oh, Nick's starting to really take off." Yeah, and yeah, I okay. think that's um, that that was a, you know, I think that's something that gave me or gave us a bit of confidence about how he was going. Yeah, you know, I was really excited about the prospect of having having multiple black singlets in the 1500 in the semis and, and maybe the final and you know that didn't totally, yeah. quite play out but um you know I think um you know that that was something that you know we thought could happen and I, we weren't really sure how Zane was going to go because he'd you know had had a had a few injury yeah concerns and problems during the middle of the year but um yeah so you know, on, on the girls' side, you know, Lucy had come on. She'd done some really great workouts. Yep. And, you know, same with Nikki. She'd been hurt earlier on, but um, early races were good and workouts were good, but hadn't quite managed to crack sort of the last part of her race. Um, but at the same time, you know, in Glasgow, um, we saw a big jump in the last couple of weeks. So, oh, cool. you know, we had pretty pretty good expectations going in. And, you know, you're never too sure, but... Um, you know, certainly, certainly, the, the the idea of a medal was was something that um, you can never really bank on, but everything's got to go your way. So that was just an amazing thing to see Nick cross the line in third. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah, totally different from for me personally uh, in Beijing. You know, eight years before, but um, yeah, and you were at the ground both times. Yeah, so that was just amazing. Um, yeah, but you know, if, well, I guess if we want to focus on Nick a bit, you know, I think a couple of things we could really stuck out for me. You know, yeah. the first was that, um, you know, he shifted. If there was a shift, it was probably in the way that he approached it in terms of making sure that he did what he knew he had to do to be the best at uh, at the games, as opposed okay. to kind of being tempted to train. To kind of match or beat the opposition, so yep. you know, in London, strain, but train based on Strava, um, <laughs> to put it in yeah. terms that people understand. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you know, in London, we kind of thought, oh, you got to be in thirteen ten and one forty five shape, you know, and I think probably yep. the result of that meant that he was really good at Monaco three weeks before, but sure. um, probably was just a bit done when London rolled around in terms of timing, but yeah. um. 
I think the shift was in in um, Rio. The focus was, hey, just be the best that you can be at the games, yep. or that, and and that was, um, you know, big temptation to hear about workouts coming through from Kiprop and yeah, and yeah. McCluffy, and you know, you get them through Let's Run, and you think, well, shit, am I <laughs> am I doing enough? You know, but I think yeah. he did a really good job. At him and Ron did a really good job at just sticking to the plan and. And as long as he knew that if he was in shape coming into the games and coming in hot, then that's the best thing that, that he needed to do. Yeah. I mean, we did a bit of a breakdown on that, the kind of the top seven or eight runners from that 1500 mm. final. And like, they're all phenomenal talents. Yeah. Um, and to to come out top three in that that field is just just so incredible. And especially when you think it was a sit and kick race, um, and you probably wouldn't bank the oldest guy in the field in a sudden kick race. Um, so it, yeah. it shows that, um, yeah, he must have got it spot on as far as that, that ability to run fast when he's tired. Um, yeah, I think his splits were something like 148.8, 118 and 50.6. So, yeah, um, you know, I think one, when we talked about being really get the games but I think the other thing is being able to deliver and um, protect the spot so you yeah. know in, indoors earlier in the year we saw him make a big sweeping move but I think he you know if he tried to do that in this type of race a bit probably a bit like what Kiprop did yeah you know yeah. If, ever, if everyone's running 50 seconds then in order to do that you've got to be running 48 and that's just you know you just can't do that and that's probably why we saw with him with Kip right there, he couldn't sustain the last hundred because yeah. when everyone else was running, you know, twelve and a half down the back, he had to run eleven and a half to just get back into position. So, yeah, um, no, that makes sense. But yeah. so, so Nick, Nick did, you know, didn't not not perfect, didn't quite go how he wanted, but he he got out he got out better and protected his spot at the front a bit better, and and cool. so you know when it came to the business end with three hundred to go, he was closer to the action. Yeah, and it seemed to work quite well. Like um, usually, he'd take up a spot near the back, but that seemed mm. to be full of like trips and surges, and um, so he probably saved a bit of energy just sitting up near the front there. Um, yeah, I mean, you always need a bit of luck, but um, yeah, the you kind of make your own luck too. Yeah, totally. Um, now I have to ask about uh, Nicky Hamblin's incident within the 5k um you've obviously been been coaching nikki um you know the media was all over that um and well the global media was all over it. Mm. um but how did um how did she kind of deal with the the media and and you know what was the that event like within the team yeah well like you say there's no kind of way of planning putting that in your campaign plan <laughs> yeah yeah you know, obviously the fifteen hundred didn't go how she or we wanted, and yeah, um, you know. So then the, the question was, well, you know, do we run the five? We'd qualified, and you know, she'd qualified. So is it is it in? So you know, the the thought was, yeah, let's 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 do the five, yep. and that cool. might give us a little bit more of a picture as to why the fifteen didn't go quite so well. Okay. Um, but then obviously, you know, um. There was a bit of jostling when the lap runner got past, and people hit the brakes, and yeah, yeah. Um, and Nikki went down and brought Abby down, and I think, um, you know, it was funny because I was Hamish won't mind me saying this, but I was out the back in the um, in the warm up area um, yep. trying to get Hamish into the core room <laughs> for his race. I didn't even see what happened. I just got told what had happened, and then oh, yeah, um, yeah. so I didn't even see it happen, but. Um, for sure, it really went nuts on the international media. And I think one of the things that girls, the next day they went around and did a bunch of media stuff. And, you know, um, yeah. I think they both did really well given that um, they were both pretty tired and, you know, Nikki had another race to prepare for. And yeah, yeah. But I think the fact that they did it together um, was was quite good. Like they were able to bounce off each other and, um, you know, they kind of supported each other through that. Um but for sure, it was um, it was it was a pretty crazy, you know. The the media really latched onto it, but you know, yeah, yeah. I think um, it, it highlighted some stuff that um, perhaps we don't often 
focus on when when it comes to the Olympics. So you know that was a that was a pretty neat a neat experience from that perspective, and in something that's um, I guess you know been a positive for Nikki to come out of the Olympics. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and it is one of those things. Yeah, like you say, it's, it sort of takes the the focus off it just being this uber competitive yeah. thing to being like, yeah, there's actually um, real people out there running. Um, yeah, that's right. Uh, with real dreams, and when when they all just get shattered in, in a heap on the track, um, it's cool to see that humanity come through. Um, yeah, yeah, and there's been some pretty neat media come out. You know, I was reading a thing on Let's Run yesterday. Um, you know, from Abby's perspective, but cool. I thought it was a really neat article. So if if um if, if people get a chance to grab, have a look at that, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I'll dig that out and stick it on the show notes. Yeah, that'd be cool. Awesome. Um, and we have to talk about uh, Zane's ten ten k record because that yeah, um, wasn't that wasn't that awesome? Yeah, and it just seemed from my point of view watching the race that he just ran really smart you know and in the past we've seen him be really aggressive like getting up the front mixing it with the big boys which is cool to see but this time it just looked like he was there to to do a job um and hit his splits and and run well um what was kind of his self-talk beforehand like was he thinking the new zealand record was on and um yeah what was sort of his goals yeah, I mean, Zane can't be more impressed with how he approached the last kind of six weeks coming in and then during yeah. the the games. You know, he did a couple of road races in, in May and um, that kind of flared up a calf thing. So yeah. for a while it looked like um, Rio wasn't even really going to be an option. But, um, you know, he took this, some time out and, and then came into St. Moritz and really prepared really well, um, really trained really smart. You know, awesome. didn't push it too hard, but got some really good workouts done. Um, and then, you know, came into Rio just with a really positive attitude that, hey, look, you know, my focus is, I know there's going to be some stuff happening up in front, but, yeah, um, you know, I don't want to speak for Zane, but understanding, you know, from what I understand was to really focus on getting the new, the 10K record and, Cool. And and obviously you know twelfth place is pegs, so that's that's a nice um, that's a it's a pretty important for for an athlete to be able to get that. So yeah. in terms of delivering on that, implemented it perfectly, um, you know, moved through. And one of the things that he really talked about was riding the the waves of momentum during the race, which I think is a pretty cool concept. You oh, know, cool. so. Yeah feeling the runner in front of you and their energy and when that starts to wane and, 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 and sort of um, benefiting from that and when that starts to wane a bit, then moving at the right time to the next runner. Yeah, awesome. So you kind of yeah. feel that energy that the athlete in front of you is giving and then, you know, using that, u- utilizing that throughout the race. And, cool. and it kind of looked a couple of times like, um, you know, he was he was done, but he's just just a just a tough runner and yeah, yeah. and um you know massive massive heart and massive aerobic base to be able to pull that together in in, in a short a, a short amount of time after you know sort of being inactive in terms of training so yeah really good result and i think one of the things zane can do now is kind of know any times he gets on the track he's gonna if you can pull something together in six weeks like that and run yeah. twenty seven thirty, you kind of that's your benchmark so I think yeah, that sets sure. him up, sets him up really well, and um, you know he's got some pretty big goals, and in you know his in terms of training environment, um, you know he's maybe made a few changes to to his support, so that's looking pretty positive, and you know I think we can expect some good things from Zane in the next few years. Yeah, brilliant, and I, I mean I I don't want you to talk on his behalf, but um, like going into it, obviously he was in the media with quite a bit talking about drugs and um, mm, mm. people weren't too happy about that. I mean, did you pick up on any of any of that sort of tension um, in, in Rio or, um, yeah, I mean, is, is life affected in that sense? Like, are there, mm. does he need to be careful where he goes? And um, Yeah, everyone was there in the games to do a job. And so, yeah. you know, people were there to do their thing and, and p- perform well, and he was able to do that. Cool. Um, some people let 
um, you know, stuff like that distract him and some people use it to help give them energy and, and he was able to do that well. So, awesome. you know, I don't know exactly um, what that will mean in terms of, but, you know, I know that he's training well and, and, and in, a, in a good environment and, um, you know, awesome. yeah. don't know the ins and outs of, of, you know, all that stuff. But, but yeah, um, yeah I, I think a lot of his comments, I think a lot of people, um, you know, appreciated him taking a, a stance on that. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, no, very cool. And, and so to sum up, the, the Olympics brought in four athletics medals. Um, yeah. And which is amazing. Like, I think Athletics New Zealand went in aiming for two, was it? Um, yeah, that, that was part of our, our yeah. KPI twos, yeah, two. Yeah. Um, so to come home with four must be a pretty good feeling. And, and what does that mean for the future, um, especially in terms of funding and, um, and goals for next world, um, world Champs and other events coming up? Yeah, well, I think it's always about, you know, how do you take care of your current talent, but also where do you ask the question, where, does your next, where do your next medalists come from? Yeah. And, you know, um, you know, uh, what I guess exceeding our ex- our expectations or our, our intended outcomes gives gives us the opportunity to um, puts us in a good position to to you know perhaps if we do get a bit more resource to do the the latter, yep. you know to to start I guess building the base of the triangle a bit bigger. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know what does it mean? Um, I think that means around supporting. Good behaviours, you know. I yep. think all the athletes that did well are ones that weren't necessarily the ones showing. You know, they weren't the freaks when they were coming through necessarily, but they yeah, sh- yeah. they showed good behaviour. So that's a lesson I think for us as a program is how do we put good support around creating opportunities for athletes to develop some of the behaviours and knowledge that will allow them to believe it's possible and then to you know, experience it and then learn from it and then deliver on it, you know. Yeah, so cool. so yeah. I think that's a, that'll be part of our strategy going forward. Um, and by behaviours, you mean like that just that commitment to, to training? Yeah, and, um, underst- yeah. yeah, understanding the sport, understanding what it takes, co- dedication and focus to put aside distraction. Um, you know, I think we've, that's a message that's come through from a lot of different development programs around the world you know you can you really don't want to develop a handout mentality you want to develop athletes who i guess just like zane you know we've been talking about zane um yeah he's developed the kind of behaviors and kind of um attitudes that's allowed him to to do that you know so if we can create some really good training environments for our athletes and again i'm i guess talking more from a distance perspective um, even if we haven't got the the next medalists in those environments at the moment, it means that when they come along, there's some really good training environments and good good structures for them to develop in. So yeah, when they cool. arrive, that they've got a good a good a good structure, and that doesn't mean centralising everything. Yeah. But it means um, I think it means being smart around maybe there might be specific blocks within the year where we can get our best athletes together um, and then athletes and coaches can kind of learn together awesome. and collaborate yeah. and grow off each other um, as opposed to these isolated silos which can kind of work in in populations that are big but I think we need to look at what our competitive advantages are as a country Yeah, yeah. which and I think we're mobile, we're flexible, we know each other, we can get on together so it makes sense to... Um, to create opportunities for athletes and coaches to work together a bit more. Yeah. Well, you look at yeah. a guy like Eric Speckman and, and even Hamish Carson and, and Julian yeah. as well, how they were just pulled along this year by um, yeah, that's right. by training with Nick. And I guess that happens at that level, but it also happens at a national level with guys training with Eric. Um, yeah, in that's Hawks right. Bay or, um, yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I guess that cycle just keeps on keeps on going. Um, so on yeah. that note, um, you've got something coming up towards the end of the year uh, with a few distance hubs that people can get in, get involved with. Do you want to give us the lowdown on that? 
Yeah, so we wanted to, you know, create some opportunities for getting our best athletes training together. And by best, you know, we don't just mean our, our current high-performance ones, but yeah. maybe that means the best athletes throughout the different grades. And, um, you know, and an opportunity too, I guess, for um, our younger ones to rub shoulders and learn from, from our, our better ones. Um, cool. You know, I think... One of the things we don't have necessarily here in New Zealand because of the way we're in the Southern Hemisphere is come April, a lot of our overseas ones go, you know, they they, they leave. And yeah. so a lot of the time that means that for chunks of the year, our, our developing athletes don't always have the chance to be part of squads that that have those those top ones in. Yeah, um, totally. Well, so, well, it's like our elite guys are... Overseas, yeah, right. and then our college guys are over in the states. Yeah, so right. there's this, there is quite a big hole there. Eh? Yeah. yeah, and when you think about different learning opportunities for a young athlete, I think other athletes, that's a key part of it. It's not just the coach, yes. and it's the culture that the coach can create or coaches can create that allows that learning to happen. So you look at someone like, you know, what's happening with the Melbourne Track Club, and you have people like Collis Birmingham and Gregson. Yeah, and the yeah. young guys like Luke Matthews coming through and seeing how they operate, going on a tour with them, and then that's where a lot of their development comes from. It's not just reliant on Nick, on the coach, yep. you know, Nick Bidot to do it. Um, and, and I think the way that Eric and Nick and Hamish and Julian did it this year was a really good model of that. You know, they were prepared to invest in, in the group a bit, and yep. that allowed... Um, them to all achieve something better I think than what they would have been able to had they just done their own thing and yeah. it does take a bit of investment you know they had to be on the road together and the coaches had to kind of come together but in terms of workouts and you know so you have to kind of choose to make it work but when you do choose it I think it pays dividends so so anyway we've got um, a couple little I guess opportunities where that can happen um, so we're going to run distance camp up in Hamna um, yep. oh, nice. sorry, down in Hamna. Um, you know, don't want to be exclusive. So, you know, we've invited a range of athletes and, op and opened it up to, to different athletes. So I think that's got about 35 people registered for that. Oh, brilliant. Um, so that's exciting. Um, and, you know, that's a good chance, especially for the South Island athletes to come together for a long weekend. So that's going to be over Labor Weekend. Cool. And it's, um, you know, a chance... It's going to be mostly um, just people getting out for some runs together. But um, you know, I just was on. I just was on the emailing back and forth with Dick Quacks, and he's going to be coming down with with his son Theo. So what nice, a great yeah. opportunity for some of the young guys to hear from him, but also some current Olympians, yeah, um, yeah. Hamish and you know Angie and people like that who are going to be there. So you know, we'll run an athlete coach panel and we'll maybe do some stuff around planning. And so that's 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 neat. Awesome. And then, um, you know, last over the summer last year in in Wellington, yep. some guys got together, and that I think was a key factor in in why we had three, nearly four athletes qualify in the fifteen hundred. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we had Nick and Hamish and Eric and some others training in a bit of a hub here in Wellington. So cool. We want to kind of athletics as a as a distance event group wants to get in behind that a bit this year. Yeah. So, you know, we're still putting together the, the finer details, but basically what it's going to look like is, um, up, you know, from about the 12th of December, having some communicated training that, um, you know, say two workouts a week where there might be um, one or two, you know, might be a 1500 5K kind of type workout. Yep. Um, more of a, a pure 1500 workout and maybe a sort of a more speed-based 400, 800 type workout where, you know, we post some training. Um, so, you know, that's the, the the basic structure and then coaches know that in advance and they can tweak their athletes' workouts based on what that looks like. Yeah, what people um, do. Cool. Yeah, and then, you know, people can meet up midweek for, for, for their long runs, uh, you know, and then we'll, you know, we might do some technical stuff and then we put together some, um, some development, you know, some, some, um, athlete development workshops that, that might cover specific aspects. We're awesome. looking at inviting a, um, a training group from overseas over. 
Nice. You know, they're often, um, you know, it's never fun training in the snow. So we're yeah, talking yeah. to a couple of coaches and their athletes about the possibility of them coming over and maybe using that as a precursor for the Com Games. Oh, very cool. Yeah. And, you know, there's a few good models around the place where, you know, it's not just an athlete and, and, and their coach, but it's, it's, it's a couple of athletes and their coaches having input into each other's each other's programs and, and sort yep. of bouncing some ideas around and taking that more of that collaborative approach. Yeah, and awesome. I think that's um, that's something that we can probably um, that's probably a, a something that we can do get excited about as a distance community about how do we um, you know learn from what each other does a bit and cool. you know to provide a few opportunities and a bit of structure for that to to happen. I guess is some of the thinking behind the Wellington Hub. Um, so that'll awesome. roll through and sort of, you know, to um, go through to the the classics. Oh, okay. So it'll be right over, uh, yeah. over summer, over Christmas. People and, will, yeah. people have their own plans for Christmas so they can come and go. But we'll yeah. try and help people with housing and and you know maybe provide a couple of vans. Yeah. Um, awesome. You know, and and maybe try and put a. Um, we're really looking at trying to source a physio for that. So there's some good support around it. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. And so if people are interested in checking it out, yep. is there any sort of, um, I don't know, minimum standard of ability that you'd have to be or age requirements or anything? Um, or can you give guess, us sort of a rough, a rough yeah. gauge and how you'd fit in? I guess we're still working out some of the details, but it's probably going to be around, there'd be certain, um, I guess, tiers of athletes where we'll be able to look at providing some support cool you know it's going to probably be fairly minimal this year given yep. it's the first year but um and we don't know exactly what what our our performance at rio will be but um but they don't want to be exclusive at all and yeah, so yeah. i guess the key is will it be and this is for something for individual athletes and their coaches the side is you know, will this be a positive experience in terms of my ability level? Yeah. yeah. So there'll be a, I guess, a a, a level in which, um, you know, you it just wouldn't be a, a a good move to to try and keep up in certain workouts. Yeah. But um, some of that detail, I guess, we're we're still working on. But um, I think it's just a common sense approach. Um, and and. Regardless of the level, I think it's important for athletes and coaches who are considering it to, you know, really make sure that they have the, within that structure have their own plan and don't buy, don't get too caught up in in trying to prove themselves or trying to push workouts too hard because we want it to be a, a training camp, not a racing camp. Because you know you can easily yeah, yeah. get it, get yourself into a hole or in, in the box, yeah. as they say, and and then it kills the season. So that's okay. a message we'll be giving really. Um, pretty strongly in terms of some of the communication. Yeah, so yeah. Um, trying to get this Hamnick thing sorted and then we'll start putting some information out about the Wellington Hub. But if anyone's got any questions in the meantime, they can email or call me. Yeah, awesome. And you're Steve yeah. at, at athletics.org.nz? Yeah, that's it. Yep, awesome. So I'll, I'll include that um, email address on, on the show notes. Um, cool. Cool. And, and I guess to I guess close off this discussion, um, a let's imagine you're you're a young kid, maybe early high school, um, and you've got dreams of being the the next Nick Willis or Angie Petty and um, making it to the uh, to the Olympics one day. Yeah. Um, what What's the sort of what would you recommend as your your stepping stones to that mm. that massive distant goal like what can you sort of chip off at, at the moment and mm. um yeah to, i suppose keep the fire burning um while you're a long way from making an olympic team yeah well that's a that's a really good question and it's got a bunch of different answers to it i guess but yeah i think it's about um focusing on training environments is a big thing um cool you know, um, and what I mean by that is getting yourself into situations where you've got good training partners, where you've got um, a program that you believe in, 
yeah. where you've got a chance to build momentum in your training um, and, you know, that you've got the ability to put aside distraction because there are lots of things that can distract yeah. you and, and kind of remove you from the – or get you off track. And the thing – I think a key thing to remember is that performance isn't linear. Yeah, you know, sure. so it might be a five or ten year goal, but you don't have to get the same jumps every year in order to get that performance. And yeah. you know, so I, I think of someone like Eliza, she's had a smash, yeah. an awesome year this year, but you know, last year, you know, there were some things that they, her and Jeremy, that it just wasn't working. Yeah, but they they put some time into some other things that uh, that you know some of the technical stuff around you know, working off a shorter run-up and those sorts of things that once those other things came right, she'd put the work in so that it all came together this year. And I think that's a bit, you know, that really is the case for distance running is that, yeah. you know, sometimes it's about trusting that things are going to come together and you might not see the results at the moment, but um, once all those things line up, that's when the results start to happen and if you can put yourself in an environment where you can do that year in year out then um, when those things come together you know when you develop at the right time um, yeah sure when you you know have the, built the necessary different components and often they don't come together at the same time um, you know that's when your performances can come so it's about having patience but it's also about having um, a coach who's willing to, you know, be patient with you as well. Yeah, totally. And um, I mean, when you look at someone like the Robertson twins, who mm. it's almost like they they disappeared from New Zealand, left here yeah. as you know good high school runners, not not what you'd call the next superstars in New Zealand distance running. Mm. Um, and it seems like they've got into an environment which was free of distraction and, you know, now they've come back and they are, are the superstars of, of mm. New Zealand distance running. So, um, I guess that's a, a kind of good example for people that you don't necessarily need to go to Kenya or Ethiopia to make it happen, but, um, it, it's those sorts of principles that you're talking about really, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Um, awesome. Well, I should let you go. It's um, taken up a lot of your time, but um, really um, appreciate it massively sharing sharing the road to Rio and, and how it went for everyone. And um, I know back home we're, we're all enormously proud of the entire team and um, so stoked to see so many black singlets out there doing the awesome. job. Um, yeah, so... Wish you all, all the best for the coaching and um, thanks for joining the show. Yeah, thanks for having me and um, keep up the good work. It's great to, great stuff what you're doing. All right, so I hope you really enjoyed that discussion with Steve Willis and uh, to kind of pick up on a few things that he, he mentioned, that just that importance that talent gets you some way as far as running is concerned, but ultimately the big decider with anyone's success in running um, whether that success might be achieving your first marathon or making an Olympic team um, it just comes down to that consistency of using the right habits the right training environment the right training stimulus and the right just routines um, to to get there it's like he said the behaviors are the things that make make an athlete and they're the things that um, you know, high performance is looking to fund rather than just just raw talent. Um, you really need to have those behaviours. So really encourage everyone who's listening to, to to have a think about, you know, what are the key behaviours that are going to lead towards your, your running goals, uh, whatever they might be. Um, and you might even want to write them down, chuck them in your phone, have them on call whenever you need them, um, maybe at the top of your diary uh, so you can block away those times that you need to to really make those behaviors happen whether that's um, getting out in, in the morning for for your long runs or it's getting that stretching done or, or core work or maybe just going easy on the desserts at the end of the day um, 
it, it really does come down to just being strategic and um, putting in place a, a lifestyle that that is going to work over the long term. There's no shortcuts in running, but there's definitely a, a big payday as far as um, getting back what you put in um, over years of of work. And and really, it is like I remember when I started running, people. Um, I, I asked a few experienced runners, and you know, how many years till I start seeing my potential as a runner? And they they kind of said, look, it'll probably take at least five to seven years to get a glimpse of of what you can achieve and that's just slowly building those foundations of aerobic endurance you know muscular uh, fitness and strength and and mobility and also those mental aspects of running so so keep at it everyone keep doing what you're doing um yeah, thanks for joining the show. Uh, at the moment with, with Tempo Fit, I should give us a, a little plug because we've got a whole bunch of seasons starting off at the moment. So Auckland has just kicked off, so our six-week season that builds up to Auckland Marathon. So we have started, but it's not too late to join up if you'd like to join in, in the training. Um, just go to tempofit.org and you'll f- be able to find all the, the sign-up details under Auckland there. Also in Wellington, we're going to be starting on the 24th of October. Um, and in Dunedin, I believe it's the 10th of October, I want to say. May, it might be the week before. I'll need to check the, these facts. Um, but that's coming up very soon as well. So that leads up into Queenstown Marathon. Um, and we also have a few other centres that we are uh, looking to start soon around the trap. So um, keep that in your locked away because there might be a, a tempo fit popping up near you. Awesome. Thanks for tuning into the show again. And happy running, everyone. <laughs>